1: Twenty stone of steaming nudity. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Piner Football, where, much like Steve Bruce at Newcastle United, we're counting down the days until the inevitable ousting. I am Daz Napton, and with Tom being on his holidays, it means you've been let off lightly this week, as we're joined by Andy Baxter this time.
0: Hi, guys. The pressure's on. The pressure is on. You've been called up to the plate. I feel very much like a backup goalkeeper. Tom being away on international duty, so I'm in the big chair now and have to try and impress. Very much podcasting's Richard Wright. Every now and then I'll turn up and people go, oh, yeah, that's, that's where he is.
1: <laughs> well, you could say that. I, I'd like to be a bit more uh, positive. I'd say you're more like uh, in certain leagues like Australia and the US where they've got marquee players where they don't play them every game. They just sort of, you know, when, it, when it's a big game, they bring them out. So I think to spin it on its head, I'd say we're bringing you out for the
0: big games wasn't that the rumour about, um, was it Ronaldinho? It was someone that either Rangers or Celtic tried to sign. It was, you know, a big name, too big for them, but sort of very much on the way down. And they said, you can, you can only play Champions League games and the old firm games if you wanted, if that would help seal the deal. I'm sure that was a thing. I can't remember it was now. It was
1: possibly someone... was. The closest thing I remember was... Bolton, in the last year in the Premier League, signed Fernando Hierro, who was like a Real Madrid legend. Oh, Hall of Famer. Yeah, basically, he uh, was still living in Spain.
0: <laughs> Not to cast any aspersions of the good people or Bolton itself. I've never actually been to Bolton, but I have been to Madrid. And Madrid's lovely, so I can see you know, why that, that deal would have made sense.
1: Yeah, I could imagine so. But maybe we'll get to that story later on because we're here for in the mix again, and um, we are here to talk through some football's strangest stories. So far, we've done nine stories from the 1800s, and I think, back, you'd probably agree, it's been a bit of a pick and mix, really. Some that have been humorous, some that have been fairly tame. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's been
0: good. It's been it's been very varied. There's been a lot of different topics covered, um, which you know, is good, but I, I, I like to think there's more to come. I like to think we can we can sort of go deeper and uh, and see what other things there are. I mean, it, it has been quite formulaic so far, but, you know, I don't know, we'll get there.
1: Yeah, and without further ado, what I'm going to do is we're going to do the final story of the 1800s that I've got, a tempestuous semi-final.
0: Ooh. See, that's yeah. good, because as you say, it doesn't give it all the way up front, does it? Could be anything.
1: and. It's actually taking place in Nottingham, Bolton, Manchester, Ooh. and hey. Derby. Willie Folk, goalkeeper, <laughs> I know. Star, fabulous
0: start, fabulous start. Goalkeeper first... and, and bad guy from the Sherlock Holmes book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Willie Folk, goalkeeper for England and Chef United, was probably the largest footballer ever. Oh, wow. It's a bold claim. Yeah. He started his career at 15 stone and ended it at 22 stone, which in those wow. days, yeah.
0: I, I'm stunned. I mean, Rovers have got a centre forward called Brett Pittman, who when you said 15 stone, I thought, yeah, okay, he's, he's, he, he, he's probably beaten that, but not 22 stone. Give him some credit. there.
1: I go back to the claim largest footballer ever. I mean, when I was a kid, my friend Will, he'd peaked those numbers by 15 years old, but he may well be the largest professional footballer ever.
0: I mean, we can agree certainly a large footballer. Yeah. <laughs> Still something.
1: Yeah, stop overdramatizing this book.
0: <laughs>
1: right. To top it all off, he was also over six foot tall and he dwarfed players becoming a legend for his variable moods good so far yeah he's angry and he's large became a legend with his variable moods is probably how i would actually describe tom if he were here <laughs>
0: yeah, that's true enough
1: as we're recording this he is currently sitting in a cold dark field in glasgow <laughs> However, he does differ from Tom when we go into this next paragraph. Talk about strength! Folk could easily carry a man under each arm. He could punch a football to the halfway line, and bearing in mind the the um, the The footballs back there, yeah, it's like yeah, punching a a medicine ball, I guess.
0: Um, Uh, you, You wouldn't you wouldn't mess with him, would you? But yeah, I wouldn't like to you know challenge him at a corner.
1: Yeah. You wonder why he wasn't
0: like a a wrestler or
1: something? Well, WWE at the minute are getting a bit stuck <laughs> with new character ideas. really folk? Weighing in at twenty two stone and well over six foot as it's as it's uh, called here. I think he'd be a great character. Back to his football days. This is where it obviously starts to get a bit writers flourish, let's say. Because I can't imagine this actually happening. It'd be cool if it did. It sounds like a cartoon though. The ground rumbled and the stadium darkened when he came out to narrow the angle.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I know stadiums are probably not made as, as as sturdy as they are now, but yeah, it's just um, it's a nice it's a nice way of writing it, isn't it? We can we can all picture it, which is nice.
1: Yeah. Uh, Ultimately, he's described as an exceedingly difficult man to put the ball past, which you can definitely imagine. He was big enough to save penalties without doing too much as in his day. And this is a really interesting point, uh, a rule, sorry, that I didn't know about. Goalkeepers were allowed to advance when penalty kicks were being taken.
0: Ooh, no, that's interesting. I've not heard of that one either. I wonder when they changed that.
1: If nothing else, we are at least finding out as the rules have developed over the years. And 1899, apparently, goalkeepers could run at the striker as they were taking the kick. So I'm guessing the ref would blow his whistle and then both would just sprint.
0: It's just a race then? Do
1: you know what it would stop, though? It'd stop these long nonsense run-ups the players do nowadays.
0: Yeah, like Fernandez and and others. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would stop all that if you had folks running towards you.
1: Blow the whistle, give it a kick, and let's see what happens. But, yeah, that's that's what was going on, apparently, back in the day. Willie Folk was also legendary for giving penalties away.
0: Of course he was.
1: <laughs> so, he saved a hell of a load of penalties, but in comparison, he probably still conceded quite a lot. On one occasion, he picked up a forward around the waist and <laughs> threw him into the net to concede a penalty.
0: Yeah, you're going to give that. Even without VAR, I'm sure that the referee still spotted it.
1: Another time during a league game in the 1898-99 to season, he picked up Liverpool centre-forward George Allen, turned him upside down and stood him on his head in the mud.
0: <laughs> this guy's amazing. It's,
1: it, this is definitely cartoon character territory now. I feel like, you know how they did the Roy of the Rovers books? There should be a... Willie Folk book
0: Folk stories um, Yeah Oh it's that'd itself. be a great one If you're listening to anyone Get in touch
1: If you want to do As the first sketch Yeah then the, the George Allen Upside down Head in the mud incident Would be a good start And then we'll We'll maybe take you On commission Depending on how that goes I'm
0: um, picturing um, Like the Roadrunner cartoons When he'd, he'd like Fall off a You know A rock or something And he'd go in And he just see his arms And his legs Sort of splattered out I yeah. imagine it's sort of Kind of like that
1: The resultant penalty turned the game Liverpool's way. So, on that occasion, it actually cost. Uh, And the reason it mentions that is because now, the semi-final in the same season in the Cup, Liverpool have drawn Sheffield United. So, it will again be George Allen versus Willie Folk.
0: Time for redemption.
1: You can just imagine. I don't know if they did programmes back in then days, but it would just
0: say Allen versus Folk. You'd have them both on the front of the program, wouldn't you? Um, like a boxing poster. Absolutely. Or just folk holding the other guy upside down. I don't know. It's just, uh, it writes itself.
1: Folk was in great form that year. On one occasion, he kept Sheffield United in the FA Cup with a brilliant save, but he tore a thigh muscle in the process. The stretchers of the day weren't big enough to carry him off. <laughs> Instead, instead, he had six men carrying him off. Six. <laughs> Again, I'm not sure how much this has all been embellished. <laughs> but it's good. I'm enjoying it. He was fit enough for the semi-final. The first attempt was at Nottingham. Headley gave Chef United the lead. I wouldn't really care about that. The equaliser came from Foyke's old adversary, Alan. And it was inevitably greeted by a surly glare off lightly it, then, really, didn't he? Sounds,
0: sounds it, yeah.
1: A surly glare from Willie Folk is is a warning shot at best, isn't
0: it? <laughs> um, yeah, don't do it again.
1: Yeah. Morgan gave Liverpool a half-time lead. Chef United rescued a 2-all draw with a goal from Walter Cocky Bennett.
0: <laughs> okay. I hope we find out what he did to earn that. You know, was he was he particularly sort of um, was he a bit of a wind up merchant? Did he try and sort of dribble past a lot of players and taunt them? Was he, you know, provocative to the fans?
1: Mevi, I don't know, could be anything. Like, well, I don't know if we'll find out in this story, but the next attempt to settle the tie at Bolton had twice as many goals. Liverpool twice went two goals ahead, two nil up and four two up, but two goals in the last eight minutes saved Sheffield United. Allen again, scored one of the Liverpool goals. So, he's really starting to get on folks. Yeah, he's his here. patience, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. So, of course, because back in those days, they just carried on playing replays after replays after replays. For, for I don't know when that stopped. But the third game was at Fallow Field. The crowd invaded the pitch and played their own game.
0: Good. Don't we like?
1: During the 90-minute first half half the time spent clearing the pitch of fans. Alan, <laughs> Alan gave Liverpool the lead and there was the much-anticipated clash between Folk and the goal scorer. Oh, you could just imagine it. The, the fans are all running on. Folk is just so wound up by this point. And that he, was the
0: final straw. He scored three past him so far, Alan, hasn't he, over the course of this? So he's like, right, that's it, no more.
1: Yeah. And what you just said is, um, is confirmed here. The Liverpool centre-forward, a hot-headed Scottish international, was nothing but a nuisance to the Sheffield United goalkeeper. Folk had the last laugh of that semi-final. <laughs> that's just the sentence.
0: That, that's it. Oh, right. <laughs> OK.
1: <laughs> the Fallow Field game was abandoned at half-time and Sheffield United would go on to win the fourth attempt, 1-0 at Derby. Is that all we get? It he said he'd had enough of him. Oh no, he said he had the last laugh.
0: But we don't know in what way. Maybe we'll have to sort of embellish it. Maybe he teamed up with some of the fans, like a sort of Royal Rumble. Yeah, sort of the, thing. Fourth, the,
1: the fourth match was actually decided as a tag team match. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hell in the South.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it doesn't actually say. Chef United won the trophy by beating Derby 4 1. So I guess that's probably what it was getting at and that he would have the last laugh because he'd lift the trophy. Because but... they won the
0: cup. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's good on him. Good on Mr. Folkes there. he's uh, he obviously could play a bit as well as just being big <gasps> and angry.
1: I'm just gutted. I think we've missed out on the violence. This may have been all talk. We've got another paragraph. So let's see if there's any violence. Right. Praying for a bit of last minute violence. Although Willie Folk played in three FA Cup finals for Sheffield United, winning two and losing one. After the game at Crystal Palace in 1902, Folk was incensed at the decision to allow Southampton's goal, scored late in the game by Harry Wood. Ooh, this could be the end we're wanting. I mean, it's 1902 now, so it's a few years on, but I think it'll be worth the wait. He
0: hasn't mellowed at all yet. Incensed is, is a
1: Always angry. Here we go, then. After the match, he was lying in the bath, contemplating his temper, and it snapped with typical idiosyncrasy. He stormed out of the dressing room area, walked up to the Crystal Palace corridors in search of the referee and linesman.
0: Oh, wow. (laughs) She's <laughs> on a rampage.
1: This is it, and it says in brackets 20 stone of steaming nudity. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been one of the strangest sights of the century.
0: I, oh, I, lo- I love the, th- the th- thought process though. So he's, he didn't react at the time. He's let the match finish, shaking hands, walked off. You know, I presume there's a debrief of the, by the manager or whatever, got in the bath, and then. No, I'm not having this. <laughs> Where is he? Where is he?
1: I also love that traditionally when you think of um, footballers and, and having baths, it's always that classic image of the, the whole team being in the bath together. In this instance, it seems like Willie Falk was just in there on his own.
0: <laughs> Maybe that was a size thing, though, because everyone else could get into one bath and he was just sort of like in a skip out the back or something like that.
1: Either that, or he got in first, and then everyone else was just like, "Oh, wait till I get home. Like, oh, don't worry about it."
0: <laughs> Maybe that was it. Maybe they were all pestering him to get out the bath, because they wanted to get in. And he was like, "Right, I'm, I'm warmed up now. Where's that referee? <laughs> Pissed <laughs> off enough."
1: It was a quite a good story, I thought. Obviously, that was purely about the character. <clears throat> yeah, the character of Willie Folk.
0: Have you noticed that it's it's been quite goalkeeper heavy as well?
1: So far, I mean, yeah.
0: Maybe that's why sort of the cliche that commentators say goalkeepers have to be a bit crazy or whatever. Maybe that's maybe it was sort of born out of characters like this, guy.
1: I think, yeah, I think I mean without going into a much bigger discussion, I think because the goalkeeper is very much a standalone character within the team, I guess. Back in the day when football was literally a bit more of a just a hit and hope sport because of the quality of pitches and players not being full time and the lack of resources and all that mm. sort of stuff, it probably most of the time would have been the most memorable character of the game. I imagine
0: that's probably true enough. You don't have to be a bit mad to get um to put yourself through that. Everything had a centre forward called Dixie Dean in like the twenties, I think it was. And a lot of his goals were just crosses that came in, and he'd run at them and put the goal, the goalkeeper, and the ball in the net, and that was fine back then. So it was um, maybe it was a bit of that.
1: <laughs> so that's the pre nineteen hundreds.
0: Wow, we've done it.
1: We've got through a whole era of football. I don't feel yet we've peaked in terms
0: of global game. I don't, and just to sort of. Go back to what you said a second ago. I think now is the time to have a bigger discussion, if any, because we've got to this sort of milestone. I think, yeah, let's try and work out what's been
1: the best story of the pre-1900s. Now, the first one we came across at the start was the crossbar protest.
0: Yeah, I remember Um, that one.
1: Which, uh, to just encapsulate it in one sentence was just people moaning about the height of the crossbar and having to replay the match.
0: Not top half of the story, so really, is it? Uh,
1: There was no characters, no humour. Let's move on. The mystery game was the one from Sheffield where they made a team secretly and then went off to go and play against another team and...
0: It was a weird one, but I did like, wasn't it that the, they just sort of went up to Scotland or somewhere and gathered players randomly and there was one yeah. of the opposite, like a, a rival player, like sort of followed them to try and figure out what was going on or something. That wasn't bad. There was, was a bit in that.
1: But I think we've definitely got better ones. The third story we had was the one-man team. I think that was in North West derby. Yeah, the He's, goalkeeper just decided he wasn't going to have it, that it was too cold. He stayed out on the pitch while everyone else went back home and basically just spent the whole second half time wasting until the game was called off.
0: Yeah, I did like that.
1: This next one I've highlighted is definitely one of my favourites from the era, the trusted goalkeeper.
0: Another Uh, goalkeeper-heavy story.
1: So, yeah, the the trusted goalkeeper, of course, um, Villa versus West Brom it was. That was the story where we had the special training we later <laughs> found out was the droit witch, Brian.
0: Brian in the running, wasn't
1: it? We had uh, the goalkeeper partly muffing it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, we did.
1: We had uh, a character called Baldy Reynolds. Uh, Good. Yeah, one, one of Tom's favourite characters so far. And then at the end of the match, the goalkeeper got his pub smashed up and then went and uh, fleed the country with uh, his servant,
0: yeah, it was a bit problematic towards the end of that one, wasn't it? Oh, well, different times.
1: Alongside the goalkeeper we just heard about, Willie Folk, I think this goalkeeper from the trusted goalkeeper is on par as my favourite character from the, from the series so far. Mainly because he was a dodgy landlord, betting on his own team to lose, throwing the cup final.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a lot, a lot, to, a lot he got up to. Um, a lot to discuss. And didn't he just disappear to like the next town over and carry on? Because there was, you know, you couldn't yeah. track people back then.
1: I think. Yeah. I think he went from Birmingham to Manchester, so it wasn't as though he he sort of literally ended up in the Chinese third tier or something. It was <laughs> it, um, just popping up the M6. So yeah, that is definitely one of my favourites so far. We've then got. The game of three halves again was, was, in my eyes, definitely one of the best ones. That was the one, of course, that featured with the referee, uh, yeah, John the Conqueror of South Conqueror. The fact that it was played with a substitute ref, it was 3 0 at half time. Conqueror turned up and made it restart, it was still 3 0, so it was pointless. And then that was also the one again, another funny goalkeeper story. The goalkeeper who wouldn't play without his rice pudding.
0: Was that that same episode? I didn't realize. I was yeah. waiting for no pudding, no points, but I couldn't. Um, yeah. I couldn't place where it was.
1: Yeah, oh, so see,
0: that's hard to beat as well. Yeah, mm. the,
1: no puddings. In terms from a humor point of view, that's got to be the top one, isn't it? With the the guy running around trying to find some rice pudding before kick off and. <laughs> All that sort of stuff. Then I think we've got a few that are a bit more tame. Again, we had the four-minute game, was exactly as that sentence said. It's just a game that got called off after four minutes. The next one was not one shot at goal. Again, is exactly what it says on the tin. It's mm-hmm. a game in which teams, both teams, refused to shoot because they didn't want to lose if they both got the draw they both stayed up so that's exactly that's what played right out the draw classic stoke burnley completed 15 weeks later that was from our yes. last so not a bad one but not as good as as some of the others now this next one i think you and tom would probably have in your top three but for me it does miss out and it's the penalty kicking elephant
0: okay So explain to me how that misses out on your top three. Tell me three stories that are better than that. For one, that did not happen. (laughs) Yeah, you've got me there. I'm going
1: to go on a score system which factors in believability. Humour, intrigue, characters, believability. And for me, the believability is about minus a million. There is no way a goalkeeper, a giant football, a circus in Leicester all came together for a penalty shootout and the, the professional players of Leicester signed up to it and went, oh yeah, let's have a go at this. There's no way.
0: I don't even know if we discussed it at the time. I didn't even consider that, that they the circus would have had to have brought their own massive balls. <laughs> yeah. I was looking more and more unlikely. This is disappointing. I'm Whereas sorry you can hear. definitely see, you can definitely see the, the the goalkeeper that was corrupt from a couple of stories ago having yeah. a bet, yeah, half muffing half muffing it up, and then you know having his pub beaten up. Yeah, um, you can definitely see that happen. Oh, that's disappointing. Never mind. Okay, fair enough. You've you've won me round. And
1: then the final story, which we just did, then which I rated quite highly as well. The tempestuous semi-final with um, our good friend Willie, the psychopathic giant nude goalkeeper.
0: Twenty stones steaming nudity.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say my top three are the trusted goalkeeper has to be in there. A great character, as I mentioned. The fact, he gets his pub beaten up at the end and flees over to Manchester. The game of three halves, I think, was a classic because we had John the Conqueror. We had the rice pudding. We had all sorts of nonsense going on in that one. And the tempestuous semi-final, the one we just
0: heard. It's hard to disagree. It's really hard to disagree with those. I mean, I still want with an asterisk next to it the penalty-kicking elephant just because it's a penalty-kicking elephant. However, you can't judge that alongside stories that are genuine. So, you know, reluctantly, I think you're right.
1: There's no way you can count that, I don't think. This is probably where there did need to be three of us so Tom could weigh in and say, you're talking nonsense, the elephant was the best story, that's the winner. But as he's not here, I don't think it makes the final three but it gets an asterisk
0: an honorable mention
1: we've narrowed it down to the final three Back soon, yeah it's over to you it's
0: yeah i suppose the biggest question is which one that isn't in there would i put in and i don't think there is any No, i, I think they're the standout three slash four
1: From the 1800s, Baxter, you've been challenged with giving us the greatest, strangest football (laughs) story of the pre-1900s.
0: Just because of how much is going on, just because of all the twists and turns, um, on the field stuff, off the field stuff, you know, what he did next, I think it has to be the trusted goalkeeper. Oh, yes. Good choice, man. Good choice. I'd, at a close second, tempestuous semi-final. And then that would make third place John the Conqueror and the rice pudding goalie.
1: I think we've got to the point where we've worked out what the best parts of 1800s football was. It wasn't the dark nights making games after finish early. It wasn't the arguing about the height of a crossbar. It wasn't the nil-nils between Burnley and Stoke. I mean, let's face it.
0: <laughs> it's never going to be, yeah.
1: Yeah, up until recently, they've still been going on. You could <laughs> always catch that last on match of the day. So I think, yeah, those goalkeeping characters, no puddings, no points. Droitwich-Brine, pubs getting smashed up. That's what the 1800s football was all about.
0: We've saved everyone else having to go back and do the research themselves. So, you know, I feel we've accomplished something.
1: And that's a good point, actually. If you're watching, if you're listening to this episode and it's the first one you've heard and you're thinking, what the hell are they on about? All this stuff about Droitwich Brine and no put in no points. What you need to do is get back over and listen to the other nine stories that you have missed, And I think you'll be in for a treat. They're not all as... Funny as that, they're not all as interesting as that. But I like to think we've brought a bit of a uh, life to them still.
0: Yeah, we, we've we've helped their memory. We we don't want them to just disappear into obscurity. We want people to still be aware of them now. And yeah, we're providing a service <laughs> exactly. But the final
1: thing I want to just do is to preview what's to come in the next era, which is the early nineteen hundreds up until the war. I'm not going to tell you anything about the stories. I'm just going to give you a couple of the titles just to uh, wet the whistle, Baxter, just so you can uh, get yeah. excited about get excited about what's to come, really. So we've got fisherman versus fireman. Yeah, good. Okay. Soccer sickness.
0: <laughs> this could be brian related again, couldn't it?
1: And. This one is definitely worth tuning in for. Death of a referee.
0: Oh, yeah, that'll be juicy. It's exciting times, there's a lot to like. Um, and just to say that it's Jamaican Hairstyle Day and work tomorrow. I'm dreading it.
1: <laughs> a great bad joke to a great bad period of football. Good night and goodbye.